Hello and welcome to episode 26 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and in this episode, author Donna Kirk returns to talk about issues that all parents face with special needs children. Donna Kirk and her husband, Ed, have been through just about everything that a parent of a special needs child can face. A terrible, life-altering diagnosis, years and years of therapies, trying to find help for their severely disabled child, watching their child struggle into adulthood, and finally facing the hardest loss of all, the death of their special needs child. In Special Parents Confidential, episode number 23, I spoke to Donna about Finding Matthew, the book she wrote that detailed all those struggles and the life of her son. After we finished the interview, Donna contacted me again and asked if she could talk about the lessons that she'd learned and how they might help parents who are currently struggling and trying to cope with the emotional roller coaster that raising a special needs child can cause. So that's what we're doing. I spoke to her again on Skype from her home near Toronto. The first thing, as she said, she wanted to talk about was honesty, because she felt it was important for parents to be honest with themselves and with each other about the situation they face with their kids. I asked her to expand on that thought. Well, and yes, it's a favorite thing of mine, because I I saw it and I experienced it myself when, when Matthew was really little. I mean, we had the biggest shock of our lives when the doctor told us that he was a vegetable with a heartbeat and institutionalized him. And mm-hmm. it, it takes a while to recover from that. But then I could see that he was anything but. He was doing things and, and he, um, and, you know, learned to sit up. He learned to swim. He learned to walk, not till he was seven. But he was anything but um, this vegetable. But it takes a while, I think, for, for a parent who's had that kind of shock to... Um, personally develop a sense of, of what they feel. Um, and then they can be more honest because they know more. But I, I've also seen, and, and, I, and myself too, I include myself in this. Um, uh, when we adopted our daughter, when Matthew was two, and then um, the Children's Aid Society suggested um, um, a nursery school for Matthew. And it was a school that catered to kids with uh, developmental disabilities. And right away, excuse me, right away, I just decided that wasn't for for me at all because my son didn't have a developmental disability. And uh, the woman who ran the nursery school said to me, well, just just give it a, you know, just bring him over and leave him for a day. And I was so shocked when I saw those kids. Some of them were in wheelchairs. Some of them couldn't sit up at all. They were lying on the floor and. I, I, I cried all the way home, and, and I <clears throat> remember saying to my husband, I, I just, you know, I can't leave him there. And, and he said to me, you know, he really needs some time away from you. He needs to develop on his own. And if these people, and he asked me questions, did they seem kind? Were they, was it a happy atmosphere? All that sort of thing. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and I said, yes, it, it was. So at the end of the day, we, we agreed to sign him up to the school. And honestly, it was the best thing for him. Mm-hmm. because the, those people were fabulous with the kids. and But I, there was a denial on my part. I, you know, he'd wake up one morning and he'd be fine. And um, couldn't, I mean, it's, it's just the way you think. And you want to protect your child from, from staring people from, but um, <clears throat> thank heavens for that little nursery school. Mm-hmm. So oh, that yeah. was my first introduction to being honest myself and right. and um uh, it, it it was very important for matthew and for me right well we had the same thing too when we uh signed our son up for you know early childhood special education you know he cried 
furiously when we got him there and uh you know and what was really nice is that the uh the teacher called us about maybe half hour 45 minutes later and she said you know as soon as he got in the classroom he was fine yeah thank you teacher (laughs) yeah exactly and that happened right and then that happened like for about two three or four more days of dropping him off and him crying and clinging and not wanting to go and then finally getting him to go in and she'd call us, yeah, he's fine. Mm-hmm. He's happy to be here. And so then, and then eventually he finally realized, okay, there's no reason for me to cry. Mm-hmm. But it was, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough thing to do, but you, you're right. You do have to be honest about that. Now, some, people, some parents can even have difficulty in recognizing that their children have problems or even they outright refuse to accept that their child is challenged. Now, whether it's fear or ignorance or both, they can actually wind up doing great harm to their kids from refusing to deal with the situation. What would you say to parents who take this type of stance? Well, I, I think initially those every every parent um, can be helped better by doctors who are, who are better informed. Mm-hmm. And I think at the outset, if the child appears to be a child with a disability or some kind of problem that's obvious right from the start, the doctors should be more honest with more honest with the parents and say, "Look, I think so and so." could have a developmental delay there's and and gives his reason for saying that so that the parents are sort of set up right from the start to understand that this th- there may be a problem in the future and mm. um i think it's and then they can choose to deny that or not i mean it, it depends on the personality um and and it depends on their own relationship and to how they how they get along as husband and wife and and um if they're on the same page about children, I mean, I, I used to do some volunteer work for one of the associations here, and um, I'd be called into a home with a child who was maybe two or three months old, and one or the other parent had not accepted it at all and wouldn't even entertain talking about it. Hmm. But one or the other parent did and was trying to get help for the child. So right. it, it it's very interesting to uh, to see how people cope or, you know, and maybe not coping is a, is a, is a coping mechanism too. Um, and I think that you, you have to experience the child for a while and see what, what the child is doing or not doing. And particularly if you have other children and this special kid isn't, isn't meeting the milestones and it becomes pretty obvious, but it, it, it takes time. I think some people, you know, possibly it might be they're they're concerned or worried about stigmas or oh, something yeah. like that. But the, you know what? The interesting thing is that for me, I didn't notice so much uh, stigma being attached to once, you know, we say, well, he, you know, he, he needs a little extra help in school and he gets some special education and all that, but it's helping him. And I think people uh, people accept that more. And there's a lot less social stigma now, perhaps, than there used to be. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. And, and the interesting part is that um, right now there's a there, there's a there's a lot of chatter up here about, um, you know, integrated schools. And, and this is I'm not just talking about black and white kids. I'm talking about there's a huge Muslim population up here. Um, Hindus. I mean, the, you name it. We, the, the, the little kids are they're all together. Mm-hmm. My granddaughters are in, in junior kindergarten and kindergarten. And it's an absolute mixed bag. Mm-hmm. And those kids all adore each other. Right. Because they have no preconceived notion that they shouldn't. Exactly. And that there are no real differences. And and I think that integrating our children with developmental disabilities into the school system 
can um, produce the same um, acceptance result, if you like. And and uh, as Matthew went to several public schools here, and and kids fought over him. Mm-hmm. Who who was going to take him to the playground? Who was going to take him to lunch? You know, it was it. Yeah, it, kids do it better than adults. Right, exactly, because kids don't have the years of being told by other people that that is not acceptable or you should ignore the people like that or there's, you know, you don't want to associate with those types of people. Huh. Or you might catch it or something. I mean, right. That's an oldie. I mean, that's, oh, I, yeah. mean I, I can remember when, when you know, my my mother telling me, when I was a little girl, I was born in 1942 then, mm-hmm. and she'd say, well, so-and-so went away for a while, which meant they had a, you know, mental breakdown and they were in an mental health hospital i mean it was shameful oh yeah yeah and i remember there were kids in my neighborhood who uh there's one kid in particular who was in a wheelchair and i you know i don't know what it was but i think it was you know probably down syndrome uh and my mother said no don't go over there because you could catch that oh i know and Yeah, I mean, and this is still back, you know, from they grew up with polio and other diseases, and they thought back then that Down syndrome was contagious, or at least that was, you know, one of the ideas. Yeah, it it, exactly, and it's our job to make sure that that our kids are are better thought of and better cared for, and 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 I think that's happening. I, I I really do. I've seen huge change. Yeah, and I think it's great too. Yeah. Now, for many parents, stress—the stresses of having a child with special needs—can sometimes cause major problems in the relationship with parents. How are you and your husband able to overcome all the stresses that you must have faced with your son? Well, I don't think you ever overcome all the stresses. I mean, as soon as you think you're over one hurdle, something else comes up, and and you know, I think there's a lot of factors because the the divorce rate is huge. Oh yeah. With with um. With, with parents of, of, of kids with special needs. And I, I read an article about four years ago that if you can survive the first eight years, then you're, you're ha- you have just as good a chance as anybody else of, of sticking the marriage. Right. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how true that is or if they've revised that, but that seems to me to be a, a pretty critical period of time. Um, certainly it was for us. Um, because you, you have, number one, you have to get over the shock of what's happening. And then if you have other children and then the, the, the kid with the difficulties is very demanding and how hard is your husband or wife working? It, right. there, there's so many factors that, that come into the relationship between the husband and wife. But I think, um, I, I really think if you're both on the same page as far as what, what the kids' problems are, if you both have the same kind of modus operandi about how to solve those problems, um, if you both feel the same way about the, the schools the kid's going to, the talk about what has been discussed about your child, so problems. if you can problem solve between the two of you, um, then I, I, I think you have a much better chance. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband and I um, went to a child psychiatrist um, for two or three years when the kids were really little. And he was very, very helpful. And um, we also uh, got uh, marriage counseling. So um, that and that ultimately was helpful. So I, I think you just when you have a, a really different and stressful situation, you, you have to look for different help. Right. Right. Well, I think also one of the reasons why they say up to age eight is because by then the child's usually either in first or second grade. And so a routine has been established by then. And there aren't going to be too many more surprises. 
Well, one can hope. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, or there's been an established pattern of help for the child, whether it's a special school or. But I, I think that after eight years, as you say, you've established some kind of of baseline modus operandi with the kid, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe it's by yourself because maybe your spouse has taken off. I, I, you know, who knows? Um, yeah, who knows? But. Um, it's very stressful, and it's uh, and it continues to be. It can, I mean, our son passed away uh, five years ago, mm-hmm. but we can st- we continue to stress about could we, should we, you know, you can't help it. Oh yeah, there's always that little bit where you uh, uh, just sit back and say, you know, if I'd only done this, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and everyone has that. <laughs> they do, and and fortunately, if you'd only done this, never answers you. No. Because everybody knows what they should have done. (laughs) But when you're right in the middle of it, you just have to kind of make your best decision and go with it. And hopefully it's the right one. And I think that's exactly what happens. And, 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 and your best decision for the resources that are available at the time. I mean, years ago, there weren't a lot of resources available. And the big resource that was touted when Matthew was little was institutionalization. So um, parents whose children were so difficult or so, you know, so challenging that they had no life, um, often had no choice but to eventually succumb to um, having their child live elsewhere. And which we did uh, when Matthew was eight years old, he went to live at Oakland Regional Center. And it was, it was the, it was the saddest day of my life. And um, my husband's too, but he was uh, very, he had, a multiplicity of problems that that we felt we we, we didn't have the expertise to handle, mm-hmm. and uh, within two months of living at Oakland's, he'd learned to use the toilet correctly. He'd he'd stop this uh, vomiting at will, which he which we thought was a behavioral issue, and and in fact it turned out to be. And uh, they helped him to some degree. However, after about a couple of years, we realized that we wanted something better for him, and we started looking at at that time. So the search was never over for the solution for a proper living situation for Matthew. Right. And there's always going to be improvements, too. I mean, there's always new research coming out for new therapies or new treatments or new ideas, at least. And so, you know, and you just it's it's hard to keep up on all that stuff, but it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It is. It, It really is worth it. And I think, quite honestly, and, and I, I could be wrong about both the U.S., but certainly here, I think the medical profession needs to be more up to date on th- this this portion of the population and what is available for them. I think oftentimes they are not, and services that could be available to certain children aren't because they're not the doctors aren't well informed. Yeah, I know. I I did a. I was doing some research uh, for the uh, podcast audience, and I came across a a statistic here in the United States that's very, very eye-opening, and that is currently, as of the last census, there are over 56 million adults with some sort of developmental or physical disability. And you can imagine, and that's just adults. They don't do children. And so you can imagine there has to be at least that many children as well because – you know, in fact, there might even be more because diagnosis and uh, uh, acknowledgement of this is increasing. Yeah. Well, I, I did some research um, when I was publishing my book about the 
the percentage of people with disabilities in the U.S. and in Canada, and I can't remember the figures now, but it was absolutely huge. It was like 10% of the population or some huge number. It was just unbelievable. Yep. So there's more of that out there. And uh, you're right. The medical industry, medical industry, I call it sometimes, uh, yeah. really does need to become better informed. And uh, pediatric doctors, of course, are the front line. Uh, but all doctors should really uh, know more about, you know, what's out there, what what help is available and what treatments are available. Yes, absolutely. I think it would be it would there would be a huge step up. Uh, for kids with with disabilities, if if the the baseline people knew more about um, what they should know, yeah, definitely. Now, another issue that a lot of parents talk about can be problematic family members. You know, the relative who does nothing but criticize or insult or belittle the problems that a kids face. You know, well, just you know, blah blah blah. You shouldn't let them out. You shouldn't see him. And why does he do that? You know, they they never accept. Uh, the child the way they are. They always want that. They think it's just a behavioral problem. What do you What do you say to a relative like that when you're faced with that kind of situation? Well, I, I had one. <clears throat> excuse me again. Who was um, a cousin of mine, and um, I remember he came. Matthew was really little at home when my I was home with the three little kids, and he came over one day, and he was he's watching Matthew, and he said to and he said to me, "Why are you wasting your time with him?" Hmm. I mean, I, you know, I, I resisted the urge to jump up and strangle him. <laughs> That's, um, that causes a lot of stress right there. It does, and it's illegal, and I'd be in jail. Yeah. So I just, I just, you know, I, I can't remember what I said to him, but I was so outraged that I, I, I think I said, must have said something like, well, you know, he, he's my son. I love him. He's, he's done so much. And he, I remember him sitting there just shaking his head. No, no, it was a total waste of time. But he was one of those perfection people. Right. Is He had to be perfect, and he certainly wasn't. His kids had to be perfect. And as it turned out, they were anything but. But after that meeting at my house, I have, I have not seen him since. And the next time he called or said, oh, I'm in the area, can I drop in? I said, no, thanks. I'm busy. And that I just, because I knew that why would I waste my time trying to convince him that Matthew was a person of value because he, he'd never get it. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want to be bothered with him when I could spend my time with my son and my other two children. Um, but that's an extreme case. And, but people who are, I think who are constantly giving advice about, well, he's just a brat. And I, I think a lot of the times they don't even have children. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> or if they do, they never paid attention to him. <laughs> well, exactly. And and I would just gently say, you know, so-and-so, um, we're doing a, a Johnny, presuming the child's name is Johnny, is what he did today that was really good. He said, hey, he did this, did that. And talk up what the kid is doing and absolutely ignore mm -hmm. all of the why do you, what, well, how come, and just ignore that and talk about, focus on Johnny's positive uh, accomplishments because one presumes that Johnny is in the room when this person is making these comments. And I, I, it's just so wrong. Well, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is they talk about kids like they don't exist, even though they're sitting right there. And whether they're communicative or not, they understand what you're saying. Absolutely. But that's one thing that, that's the hardest to to make people who have regular families don't understand, that, that our kids understand everything. 
and take it all in. Mm. One snide little comment that I came up with that I've not, I try to hold back unless I'm really annoyed. And I'll say, and your degree in social behavior or medical is from what university? Exactly. (laughs) I I know. Exactly. I mean, it was really funny because a friend of mine who had a seriously handicapped child, and the kid was, you know, loud and, and, and energetic as, and, um, you know, in the room, you know, I mean, just in the room. Right. And this person um, happened to be her brother-in-law, had never had children, but he was the expert. Oh, yeah. And she said to him, you know what? The next time I come on Earth, you can be the parent and I will be the expert. Right. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. I'm whether he got it or not, I don't know. Oh, they don't, because they're they're so wrapped up in themselves, they don't understand yeah. anyone's even talking to them. But, um, you know, now, of course, all we get about uh, people talking about Matthew was how well he did. And, and I think that people who are faced with these kind of relatives and friends keep talking about what your kids accomplished. Just override that negativity. And, and soon they'll shut up because they'll get they'll realize that you're not going to bite. And and I think that's important. Don't engage with them. Don't engage. Right. Just move on. Right. And in some cases, as you did with your cousin, just cut off contact. Yeah. Well, I just he was he was just toxic. So I decided no no good would ever come of it. Right. And um, you know, and it didn't. And I don't really care what happened to him. And and um, who cares? Doesn't matter. Yeah. My mother years ago used to have a favorite saying for things like that and she's and i i of course this is way before i ever got married but she used to say you know you can choose your friends but you're stuck with your relatives isn't that the truth <laughs> and yeah. that kind of that kind of made me realize okay you know and and even with friends too i mean you know they're not friends if they're not helping no that's right why keep someone around who's going to do nothing but cause you Anger, frustration, grief, and annoyance. That's not a person you need, whether you're the relative or not. No, absolutely not. And, and the thing that you stumble up against and, uh, is, the, is the perfection syndrome. Everything has to be perfect. And, that, that's, that's, um, and they see a kid who, ha- who has a, is dyslexic or whatever is, is somebody who doesn't have as big a value because they're not perfect. And, and it's just it, it's so sad because eventually something will happen to that perfect person who makes them think that that makes them think well oh maybe maybe you know i shouldn't have been so critical or but it's it's a throwaway society and it's it's just wrong yeah yeah that's true that's sad now sometimes siblings can be uh can kind of feel left out or ignored if one of the child requires more attention to their disability um how did matthew's brother and sister cope with his situation and were there problems involving attention or feelings of being ignored on for them as far as you know um i mean you can't control completely a relationship but sometimes there is some feelings of being left out or ignored because one child in the family requires so much more attention well when when matt was little of course he went to peter pan nursery school and my other two kids were in nursery school pretty quickly too because i didn't want my children to have to focus on each other um i wanted them to have their own experiences which they did and when they were at home we tried our best to equally include everybody and um, but the person, funnily enough, who reacted to lack of attention when attention was being focused on others was Matthew. He'd get really cheesed off. 
when I would, um, you know, do something with Kelly or do something with Joseph or do something with the three of them. And he was just sitting there. I mean, he was, it was like, look at me, you know, and I've asked my kids, did you feel, you know, that, that, that mom or dad paid? And they, they said, no, now do I, I mean, I don't know that they, they were so young, but don't forget, John, when Matthew was eight years old, he went to live at Oakland's regional center. Right. So he was out of the house. She, he was out of the house. However, he was home uh, for two days a week. We brought him home on every Wednesday and all day Sunday. Mm -hmm. But I would say that because he wasn't around 24-7, that the, his siblings did not experience the mom and dad are paying too much attention to Matthew. Right. So that really, for, for us, it's, it's a bit of a different situation. I mean, I, I felt all guilty all the time because... He wasn't around, but he, you know, he, he, we had to make the decision for reasons that um, were cr critical to, to their family structure. And, and I mean, he was a kid who never slept two or three hours a night and then he was awake. And, oh, yeah, I mean, that was just one thing. But, you know, you, you make the decisions at the time and then you live with them. And then when you realize that you want something better, then you go out and find it. And that's what we did. So. Right. So, yeah, it, it is a complex issue, you know, because a lot more kids now are staying home. Oh, yes. Well, you can't. Um, there's no institutions in in the province of Ontario. Well, I'm telling lies that there's Oakland's Regional Centre is still there. Mm -hmm. And I believe that I don't know if they take admissions except under extreme duress. Ah. And that would be the the um, family in crisis, death of older parents. I, I That can happen now with in some places. It has to happen. Right. Because some folks have lived at home all their lives and their parents are in their 80s. And you can imagine. Right. Well, there's, I know that there are some nursing homes and uh, assisted care facilities here that will take severely handicapped children. But that has to be, you know, an extreme. And I don't know exactly how all that comes together. But, uh, you know, for kids with autism or things like that, where they're, you know, uncommunicative, but otherwise, you know, uh, able to learn to care for themselves. Most of those uh, types of situations, the kids stay home now. So it's, yeah, it's hard. It's a balance that's very tricky. And unfortunately, I do know of a lot of situations where, you know, siblings will say, yeah, I really think I got ignored all the time. So, you know. I bet. Oh, I can just imagine. Mm -hmm. and, and they probably did without meaning to. Right. And then, of course, some of that can be just simply perception, you know. Perception of uh, what one person's going through may not necessarily be what actually is happening, but that's your perception. Uh -huh. well, that's absolutely right, and and you're entitled to your feelings. Right, right, yeah. Now, unfortunately, there can also be a rush to make snap judgments about a child's disability or handicap or disorder, which can cause a lot of stress. What do you think parents need to keep in mind when they're dealing with these situations? Well, I think it depends on who's making the judgment. And what authority do they have to make the judgment? I mean, if you're if you're talking to a, a, a physician or a specialist, then that's it's more of like a diagnosis than anything else. Um, and I think as long as I mean, sometimes these these labels are put on kids, and then they're prescribed medications, and then you're into a myriad of problems with does it work? What are the side effects? Is the side effect worse than you know? I I I think. Um, I would not allow anybody to make a snap judgment about my kid and, and ever. I mean, it's just, well, one, one case for Matthew was when he was, he was learning to walk and he walked on his toe 
And um, I took him to the family doctor and he said, well, I'll send him to an orthopedic uh, guy. So we took him to a doctor in town here and the doctor looked at him and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to cut the tendons in the back of his heels and then he'll put his feet down. And I thought, no, you're not. So we, we came home and my husband and I discussed it. And, and um, I said to Ed, um, I, I went back to the family doctor and he said, well, take him to a therapist. So we took him to a therapist and she just said, oh, just move his feet up and down, up and down, up and down as many times a day as you can tolerate it. And we did that. And in six months, he was walking on his feet. Yeah. Now, you know, had we jumped on the bandwagon, had the kid's tendons cut, his legs would never have been the same. He wouldn't have developed the muscles properly. So I think you have to sit back and swallow it for a while. Right. And talk to other people. And, oh, it, it, and it just it happens every day, this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, you get to the point where you think something's got to be done right now. And, yeah. and the fact is... No, nothing has to be done right now. You always have time to think about it. I mean, unless it's a life-threatening situation. That's right. In That's which case, in which case, you want to snap judgment. Uh, but uh, but for most decisions, as far as treatments or therapies or education or anything like that, you do have time to investigate. That's absolutely right, and you should investigate it. Talk to people who've been involved in your situation and what was the outcome and how severe was their child's affliction if you like or what you know what and what was what were their solutions and how do you think it could best fit your child and and as you say unless it's life and death you do have time to reflect mm -hmm. well how important is full and honest communications for parents and families when dealing with their emotions and problems uh, but what do you think i mean we i know of relationships where you know the husband hardly has time to talk and uh, the wife is off doing her thing or whatever and it, it, but you really do need to communicate yeah i i think i think honesty opens up opportunities i mean if you're if you're honest about something then and you're having a, um an equal discussion with your spouse or the doctor or whoever then it, it opens up an opportunity to discuss what if we did this what did you hear about that you know um have we tried this um it, it but if you're uh, if, if you're not honest, it, 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 solutions don't seem to ever that don't come into play because there's no room for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, face. Re my mother used to say, "Face reality." <laughs> right. You know. Um, so I, I I think honesty is the most important ingredient when you're dealing with, particularly when you're dealing with special needs kids and with with anybody. Really, it's so simple and yet it's so complex. Mm -hmm. Now, you and your husband had counseling, and there are also support groups out there. What do you, uh, what do you think is the best thing about that? How, how was that able to help you guys in making your decisions and keeping things together? Well, I mean, the, 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 the counseling with the psychiatrist was terrific because he, when he saw us, they, we all went. The kids went, and they were crawling all over the floor. I mean, he had 13 children himself. So wow. I, he, <laughs> I know. Uh, he knew what he was talking about. And he, what he basically did with, with us was just support us and say, geez, you're doing such a good job and look how, look at how cute so and so. Like he was a kid person. He really got children. He loved the children. And we went there and just talked about what we had for lunch and, and, you know, a few things about, well, you know, what's Matthew doing now? And he made a few suggestions, but really it was, it was more of a, um, a, a like each other session, if you like. And, you know, just to, 
confirmation that we were a good family trying our best and 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 he was th that was very very helpful and nobody's wagging fingers at us and none of that stuff and um the the, the marriage counseling was really good because we'd go and um we went together and we went separately and went on our sessions together we'd say what was pissing us off mm -hmm. and um the counselor was excellent and I think that that really helped and it brought out stuff that maybe wouldn't wouldn't have come out because when do you have time with three little kids, you know? But I and I thought that was um that that was very very helpful too. Well, I think it's liberating, too, especially, you know, even if you can't do anything else other than going to a support group just to be around other parents who are faced with similar challenges and know, okay, I'm not a complete moron here. I'm yeah. not. Uh, I'm not being a catastrophe to my children. What yeah. I'm doing actually does kind of make sense. Or if what I'm doing turns out not to be right, at least I'll know then from people with experience. Okay, maybe this will work better. Yeah. Oh, support groups are absolutely essential, and I think that they can and have taken the place of counseling, which many people can't afford. And you know, the, the psychiatrist that we went to. I mean, it was free up here in Canada, so. <clears throat> beg your pardon we didn't have to pay for that but many people don't have those resources but i think that that groups uh, support groups are absolutely invaluable right right and they're free for the most part <laughs> that's right and they're free and if you allow yourself to open up and 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 everybody in that group is in the same boat mm -hmm. so nobody's gonna think oh my god am i ever glad i don't have that kid or you know i mean that <laughs> oh it's such a huge heartbreak right? to have to deal with people who don't get it. Right. And you always think back of your mind, you know, the last thing I, I don't want, I don't want my child to be that kid, the one that all the other kids, you know, avoid. They don't want to be around. They don't want to, I want, I want my child to be, you know, friends, normal with everyone. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's right. Yeah, and I uh, support group can at least you know help you realize okay there are other parents going through the same situation, and you also learn that okay my kids got it rough but they're not doing as bad as some other kids or they're doing you know uh -huh. this and that how, mm -hmm. and how can I make it better for my kid and how can right. I make it better for other kids and and you know I mean, parents getting together with with these support groups and also getting together to decide that maybe a certain project would be good for the community fundraising for that project mm -hmm. whether it be a, a special playground a special um um library um uh, class you know toys special toys toy library that anything like that and and for older folks um um outings to in the community that i mean it's, it's just so important and that and this all comes together through these support groups right Right, and that, that it just—it's uh, a great, great thing that uh, you get into a whole community of people who are sharing similar situations. Mm -hmm. That's right, and and <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yep, and that can lead to a lot of great stuff. Well, finally, what would you say to a parent who are struggling with all the stresses and the challenges of having a child with special needs, especially when they're just starting out? You know. What can you what can what would you say to them if you had the opportunity to be right there with them when they're struggling and worried and all that kind of thing? Well, I you know, I would just I would say just take a breath and focus on the child. Um 
look at your child, watch what he or she is doing, and get as much help as you can. Um, talk to people. Again, the honesty factor. Um, join a group as soon as you can and talk to folks. There, there are many infant stimulation programs, at least there used to be. Mm-hmm. Those are really important. Um, we started Matthew swimming when he was um, one um, because his muscles were so weak. And so, I mean, to me, that and I met people, I mean, it, it's sort of a ripple effect. You meet people at all these groups and, and it just starts there. I mean, get out in the community and, and you know, realize, too, that you cannot spend 24-7 with this kid. So if there's a if there's an infant stim program and you can go and have your hair done or or if it's if you're a stay-at-home dad and you know uh, go to the Canadian tire store or Lowe's or whatever they call it um in down there and and spend some time on yourself too and then you'll be much better equipped to come home and and, and look after your high needs kid right and i think it's too it's important that you realize you're not alone there are other people out there going through the same challenges Yep, that's right. And uh, like I say, find, I, I always find, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Find those people. And, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I always say that the best advice I ever get is usually from parents in similar situations, more so than from uh, some experts. Yeah, who are in similar situations and have had experiences, and they can relate to what worked or what didn't work, and mm. why. Right. And you can apply it to your own experiences, and and it's it's um. Oh, it's not the same world as it was uh, 45 years ago when Matthew was born. I mean, things are so much better, and and, uh, kids are doing so much better as a result. And I think society sees uh, persons with difficulties so much uh, on a different level now than than they used to. I think we're realizing that there's a lot more going on, and they have much more to contribute than anyone ever thought. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being part of the podcast again, Donna. This is great. You're welcome, John. Thank you for inviting me. Donna Kirk's book, Finding Matthew, which details the life of her son who was born with severe disabilities, is available on Amazon. We have links to her book and her website, where she has a blog and lots of other helpful information on the page for this episode. I'd also encourage you to go to the helpful links page on our website, specialparentsconfidential.com, where you can find lots of great resource information on many support organizations and reference sites with valid, credible information. As always, a reminder, if you like this episode of Special Parents Confidential or any episode that we've done, please share our site with your friends, family, and all your connections on social media. You can do this easily with the social media buttons located on this page. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, add us on Google+, Tumblr, LinkedIn, Pinterest, StumbleUpon, Reddit, or other social media sites. You can also sign up for our email service and have new posts and podcast episodes delivered right to your inbox the moment they're available online. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Pod Directory as a free subscription. And if you have a moment, feel free to write a review about our podcast there. Anything you can do to help spread the word about Special Parents Confidential will help us be able to continue these podcasts. And that's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>